0: Learn more at marines.com. The Two Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC player to watch Match of the Day, or ITV Hub, or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services, while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that. To the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL index and Anfield index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Friday the 9th of February. Hope you're all well. Hope your weather's as grey as mine. Um, But there's a whole weekend of football coming up which will brighten things up. We do obviously have a full weekend of Premier League games. Guy will be on after the break to go through those. But before we get to those we have Asian Cup and AFCON to quickly check up on. The Asian Cup final will be tomorrow, a 3 p.m. kickoff, which isn't great timing, obviously, with Premier League games on. But it is Jordan versus Qatar. Qatar, the host nation, will be heavy favourites. They've had a pretty clear run uh, to this point in the competition. They topped their group, Group A, with three wins, beating Lebanon uh, 3-0, beating Tajikistan 1-0. And beating China 1-0. Into the knockout phases they went. And they knocked out Palestine 2-1. Then obviously Iran. Or, sorry, then Uzbekistan on penalties. And then Iran in their semi-final three goals to two. And as I say, they will take on Jordan. Jordan didn't impress hugely in the group stage. Finished third in Group E. Um, they beat Malaysia 4-0. They drew with South Korea 2-2, and then they lost to Behran 1-0. In the knockout phase, they beat Iraq 3-2. They were underdogs in that one, so that was a a good upset. They played Tajikistan. They beat them 1-0. And then they, probably the upset of the competition so far, they beat South Korea 2-0. So... Tajikistan is the common opponent these sides have had in the competition to date, both of them 1-1-0. Can we take anything from that? I have no idea. Qatar will be favourites, but who doesn't love an underdog story? We're going to throw our might here at the Two Footed Podcast behind Jordan to win the competition, which I know almost certainly guarantees victory for Qatar, but so be it. Um, into the AFCON then, we have third and fourth place playoff tomorrow, South Africa against the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's an 8 p.m. kickoff. And then the final is Sunday at 8 p.m. It is Nigeria against Ivory Coast. Pre-tournament, if you'd said this would be the final, everybody would have said, yeah, that's, that's likely. You know, that's two of the five or six best teams in the competition little bit surprised Senegal, aren't there? A little bit surprised Morocco, aren't there? But can absolutely see that. If you told them after the group stage that this would be the final, absolutely nobody would have taken you seriously. Nobody at all. Because Ivory Coast were so poor in the group stage. So, Group A had Equatorial Guinea, Nigeria, and the Ivory Coast, plus Guinea-Bissau. Ivory Coast, Big Guinea-Bissau, 2-0. Nigeria drew 1-1 with Equatorial Guinea. Then these sides played each other, and Nigeria won 1-0 with a Kong penalty. Then Nigeria beat Guinea-Bissau, but Ivory Coast got hammered by Equatorial Guinea, 4-0, and they sacked Gasset, the manager. They looked like a complete shambles. They attempted to appoint two or three different people, and nobody seemed interested in taking the job. They tried to get the manager of the French women's national team at one point. But Immers Fay, who'd been an assistant manager, is the national and the 23s manager, he was given the job on a caretaker basis. And you have to say, he's done an immense job. In the knockout phase, they beat Senegal on penalties. Then they beat Mali 2-1 after extra time. And then they beat Congo, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo 1-0 in the semis. Nigeria have had a bit more of a straight path. They beat Cameroon 2-0. They beat Angola 1-0. But they did need penalties to get by South Africa in their semifinal. Um, Ivory Coast are, are the hosts, but Nigeria are the favourites to win this game. But Ivory Coast, I think, are riding a bit of a crest of momentum coming into this one. I thought Nigeria looked flat against South Africa, whereas Ivory Coast have gotten better progressively over the last couple of games. Ivory Coast have the better defence, and I think they're slightly stronger in midfield. Nigeria have the better attack. So I think this is going to be a really good game. I really do. I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm going to pick Nigeria to win. Just because throughout the tournament they've been the better team. But like I said, they did look flat against South Africa. And maybe that was just the South South African style, kind of stymied them, slowed them down a bit. But I'm going to bet on them to bounce back and and put on a good performance. I I think Osman is the difference maker here. He's the best player between the two countries. I think he's the difference maker here. So we're going to pick Nigeria to win in extra time. Um, lots of talent on display, though. Right. What news do we have? Uh, a Chelsea fan has been fined for confronting Martin Dubravka. And rightly so. Can't be confronting players. Uh UEFA President Seferin says he will not seek re-election, which is good. He's standing by what he said originally, which is that there should only be limited terms for FIFA, uh, for UEFA presidents, and he's he's not gone back on that. So I think that's big. Um, Mikel Arteta says he, he loves Arsenal celebrations after victories, which see them go from third to third. Ange Postacoglu has said that he doesn't think the blue card suggestion will make a difference. So the idea is that it would be for cynical fouls and for dissent. The players, rather than getting a a yellow card, would get a blue card and spend 10 minutes in a sin bin. I, I don't think we'll know until we see it. I'm not against the idea. I definitely think something needs to happen. Maybe the threat of it alone... Does calm down a lot of the dissent, but at the same time, you have to be able to speak to the referee. There's, there's too more, too many players now getting yellow cards for just daring to speak to a referee. And that's something that also needs to be addressed. Um, let's see. John Eustace is set to replace John Dole Thomason at Blackburn. Looks like Thomason is out. Eustace will be the guy to come in. I had been hoping he might be an option for Ireland, considering he was an assistant for a short time, but doesn't look like it. Uh, The Irish FA have said they hope to announce a new manager soon. We'll wait and see, and then we'll pass judgment on what will probably be Neil Lennon, just to annoy me. Uh, Roy Hodgson says Michael Elise's injury is serious and devastating. And then he threw the medical staff and Elise himself under the bus, uh, trying to absolve himself of all blame for bringing on a player who's already had one serious injury this season, who was dealing with another. He brought him on at half time in a game in which Palace were losing 3 0 and tried to blame others. Like, that's just absolute shambolic stuff from Roy. He won't be there. For a whole lot longer is my bet i think he's going to be out the door soon enough um do you know what we'll just do the gossip we'll go to guy we'll go to break we'll come back with guy and we'll go through this weekend's games um we've got two days worth of gossip to do so paris saint-germain want to sign england forward chloe kelly from manchester city and make her the highest paid woman's player in europe Manchester United are better placed than Arsenal to strike a deal for Ivan Tony, while Chelsea are expected to focus on Victor Osman. Good to see clubs not having any any notion at all of what they need to do to fix themselves. That's good. Uh, the agent of Enzo Fernandez says the twenty three year old has no doubt sorry, has no intention of leaving Chelsea. Um, I don't believe him at all. Galatasaray will not move for Christian Eriksen before the Turkish transfer window closes this week, but do intend to make him an offer in the summer. Brentford may also be interested in signing him in the summer. Liverpool are monitoring? No, they're not. Just no, they're not is the answer because Liverpool don't know who their manager is going to be yet. So they're not monitoring any player who's a senior player. Young players, fair enough. They're not monitoring any senior player. Brighton are close to agreeing a deal for Ibrahim Awesome. Uh, Osman, I think that deal's already done. <clears throat> Kareem Benzema walked out of Al Ittihad training after been ordered to work on his own by Marcelo Gallardo. Gallardo. Um, the whole Benzema in Saudi thing hasn't worked at all, has it? Kylian Mbappe has three financial demands for any club hoping to sign him should he decide to leave PSG, including an annual salary of 50 million euros. Okay. Uh fair enough. I'd imagine he probably wants more, but sure it is what it is. Let's see. Uh Manchester United are monitoring Ivan Tony, but value him value him at seventy million and will not get drawn drawn into a bidding contest. Eric ten Hag said no decision has been made on the futures of Johnny Evans or Rafael Varan. I do think it's hilarious that any Johnny Evans might end up still there next season, considering he's only signed for two weeks to begin with. Liverpool are ready to challenge Arsenal for the signing of Martin Zubimendi. Again, refer to what I said earlier. That one, it's Steve K, so it's spoofing. He's putting two and two together, which is that Liverpool need a new manager and Xabi Alonso is doing a really good job with Leverkusen and therefore could be the next Liverpool manager. He's getting four and then he's putting four and four together, which is that Xabi Alonso used to manage Real Sociedad B, and while he was there, one of his players was Martin Zivmendi, and he's coming up with this. So the logic is sound, unusually for Steve K. The logic is sound, but there's no there's no reporting behind this. There's no real journalism behind this, and there's probably no truth behind it either. Uh, Saudi Arabian club al Ittihad will try to sign Mo Salah this summer, having failed in a bid last summer. There's been some suggestions they might offer £200 in which case Liverpool will probably have to accept it. Uh, AC Milan are considering appointing Graham Potter as their new manager. No. No, surely not. Uh, Manchester United have held talks with Kobe Manu over a new contract. Makes sense. Arsenal have been monitoring Nico Williams of Athletic Bilbao. Thomas Partey is attracting interest from Juventus. No, he's not. Real Madrid are tracking Alfonso Davies, but face competition from Manchester City and Liverpool. Again, how would you know if Liverpool are doing anything? But that one I would love. I would absolutely, he is, that is perfect for either Alonso or Amorim. Newcastle are keen on Amadou Onana. Again, that's a rehash. Thiago Alcantara is not expected to stay at the club beyond this summer. That makes sense. Robert Lewandowski has a contract that runs until 2026 and wants to fulfill it. Again, that makes sense. AC Milan are among a number of Italian clubs to show interest in Jakob Kivor this summer. They've been linked to him since the minute he joined Arsenal. They really have. Every single week since he joined Arsenal, they've been linked. Uh, Emil Kraft is to sign a contract extension at Newcastle. That's according to a Swedish outlet. Uh, we'll come back to that. And yeah, John Dal thomason Emil Kraft has played 10 games in the last year and a half. Now, we know he had a bad knee injury. But he wasn't playing a whole lot before that. They have Trippier. They have Livermento. I don't really understand why they would want to keep Emile Kraft. Unless they just want kind of a veteran around the place. He's been there a good while now, five years. But, I mean, he's an international footballer. Surely he wants to go and play somewhere. If I was him, I'd be turning down any contract extension and just going somewhere where you can start games. you have made enough money at Newcastle over the last five years. Go and play somewhere. Right, to break. Back with Guy. Right, welcome back. So we are joined, as always, on a Friday by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? Bit chilly. That's to be expected, guy. Given that you live about 20 minutes from the North Pole, but uh, you'll get to warm yourself by the fire while watching plenty of football this weekend. We have 10 games starting early tomorrow and running all the way through to Monday. With a bit of Monday night football as well, so that's good. Uh, Where do we start?
1: We start with Man City-Everton, Dave, at the half-twelve kickoff. off um, Usually, well, logically, this game is an easy prediction. But Man City do have a weird thing with Everton, where they may win, but it's always a very difficult game for some reason. Or they'll just win 25-0. I'm not sure which way to think on this one.
0: Yeah, Everton have caused City problems in the past. Now, like you said, generally City end up winning the game anyway. But Everton do make it tough for them. But this game comes at the ideal time for City, where if you look to the last six games, they're top of the form table and Everton sit 18th. And in the actual Premier League table, Everton sit 18th. Uh, City will know that a win here puts them top of the table. Now, Liverpool will play after them, but City would then have a game in hand again. This this game will mean that ever that City go top, with all games being equal. And that is a psychological boost for them and a reminder that that's where they need to be and where they want to be. So I I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, overthinking it, because I don't want to be Pep Guardiola. Um, I like having hair. Uh, I will say City to win. It's at the Etihad. Haaland is due a goal. I'll go 3-0 to City.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that, that makes sense, to be fair. Uh, first of the three o'clock kickoffs, then, we have Fulham hosting Bournemouth, Dave. Um, quite, not the most eye-catching game, I suppose, but it should be a, quite a fun game. Obviously, Bournemouth, before playing a few hard teams, were re- were in really good form. Um, And Fulham just a very strange season where they had that spell where they scored like three goals in a game, so many games in a row. And then it just kind of went back to boring again.
0: Yeah. They've gone back to being a bit of a slog to watch, to be honest. Um, Last weekend, they go two nil up away to Burnley second from bottom Burnley and then capitulate and end up with one point when they should have taken three. Now, Fulham will still be happy enough with how the season is going because they're 13th. They look like they're fairly comfortable and safe. Uh, But in the form table, they are only 16th. They've only taken five points from the last six games. Uh, Bournemouth, like you said, they've come back to earth a little bit. Um, No wins in their last four. But they're still 12th in the form table. They're still taking eight points from the last six games. And they will be anxious to get themselves back on the winning track because, like you said, it's been a few tough games. It's not like they've been dropping points against, well, Forest, they'll be disappointed to have dropped the points there, especially at home, having gone one up early. But before that, it was it was West Ham, it was Liverpool, uh, it was Tottenham. So, you know, they, th- those are games they weren't expected to take anything from. They have made progress in the FA Cup in the meantime, though, so they haven't just completely capitulated. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go for the Bournemouth win here. Now, unfortunately, Premier Injuries is down at the moment, so I have no idea who's injured and who's not. But I'm pretty certain Alex Scott is, is okay. They've gotten a couple of other players back recently, a couple have come back from AFCon as well, which has been a big help. Semenyo, although he missed... Two big chances last weekend. Um I'm gonna go for the Bournemouth win. I'll go I'll go two one to Bournemouth.
1: Yeah, on my premier injuries he doesn't seem to be listed, although it still lost Hamid Traori at Bournemouth, so maybe it's not the who plays for Napoli. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's not the most updated. Um also signing sinister as well maybe just gives him a little extra couple percent in performance as
0: that got confirmed today if You didn't see um yeah so he, he now has that's the thing he now has the that, that kind of safety that he knows the security of knowing that he is going to be there long term um I think it's a great deal for, for all parties, to be honest. Right, Mills,
1: not badly.
0: Not bad money at all. Um, it, it's For Leeds, they don't get a profit on them. think they paid around the same fee. But at the same time, they didn't lose anything on them. And they can put that 20 million straight onto their balance sheet. So it will improve their FFP situation in the short term. For him, he's absolutely a Premier League caliber player. And. He's shown what he's capable of in the past. That last year he had at Feyenoord, he was sensational. He had a good season with Leeds last year that was just blighted by injuries. He's shown his talent at times this year. I wonder as well, now that he's a permanent signing, will Irola give him more opportunities? Mm. Because... I, I've often wondered is that one of the reasons he's kind of given more games to the likes of Justin Clivert, you know, because they're permanently born with players. Was Iroh like, sort of looking at Sinister and thinking, well, if you explode here, I'm going to end up losing you. You're going to go somewhere else. But now that he knows he's going to have him, and then realistically he'll have him for at least 18 months, Um you know, because no, he's not going to be sold this coming summer even if he does brilliantly between now and the end of the season, he'll be there next year. And, like, he could be the secondary goal scorer they've been searching for to go with Solanke and give them that added goal threat. I think it's a really clever move.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Uh, Moving on to the second three o'clock kickoff, then we have Liverpool hosting Burnley, Dave. You've obviously done... um, Excuse me. Uh, you've obviously done a deeper preview the other day on the AI uh, side of the channel. Um, by Liverpool's flu outbreak affecting every single player, like this is a game they just have to simply win.
0: Yeah, there's no excuse here. They have to win this game. I mean, Burnley have won one of the last six and none of the last five. Um They're second from bottom. They've been dreadful all season. They've won three games all season. They don't score enough goals. They concede far too many goals. They lack leadership in defence, real quality in midfield, and a goal scorer. So the spine of their team is weak. The spine of Liverpool's team is very strong. Uh, You'd be confident in Liverpool winning this game. Liverpool should win this game, and I'm going to go 3-0.
1: Now, the three o'clock kickoff everyone wants to watch, Dave, is Luton hosting Sheffield United. <laughs> now, we say this, and I was going to almost say it's a championship game, but Luton aren't in the relegation zone.
0: No, Luton are fourth in the, in the form table over the last six games. Three wins, two draws, and only one defeat. Um, Luton are the inform, one of the in-form teams at the moment, which is, is quite the turnaround. Sheffield United are, are awful. Like, let's be really clear. They're awful. Mm. Uh, they're, they're miles short all over the place. They, the, the decision that they made to go into the January transfer window and do as little as they did it still baffles me. Like, I know they got Sam Curtis. He's one for the future. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. They got uh, Ivo Gerbich, who's a decent goalkeeper. They brought in Mason Holgate and Ben Britton diaz and they're good players but they needed more. Like, they needed a lot more. And it's almost like they've just sort of accepted relegation. And if you're doing that, why do anything? Like
1: To be just... fair, I think they did that when they hired Chris Wilder back, to be honest. Yeah, to be
0: fair. Uh, I am think... scared
1: of sandwiches. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, but he's a Premier League manager guy. You need to he's show him not, more. He's rest. not, though, is he? You need to show him more. We a... not think he's not. Like, he isn't a Premier League manager. He's just the manager of a team temporarily on loan from the Championship. Um, This is like, this is one of the few games you look at and think Sheffield United could get a result here because they came up ahead of Luton last season. They were a comfortably better team. Luton came up with a a clear plan to go back down. Sheffield United kind of did the same thing, but I I just have no faith in them to get anything here. I think Luton are going to beat them. Luton are playing well. They're full of confidence. They're behaving like a Premier League team on the pitch. Mm. Whereas Sheffield United, like Sheffield United played a back five against Villa and gave up four goals in the first half. It's just baffling. Like, why are you playing a back five if these lads can't defend? And you look at, like.
1: If you can put eight goals past Brighton and Newcastle, you can survive the Premier League.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like, that's mm. the thing. Luton look like a team who are capable of scoring goals, and Sheffield United look like a team that can't defend at all. And like The thing is, the, the defence they played against um, Villa, they go Holgate, Ahmed Hodzic and Trusty as a back three. That's probably the best back three they've got with Bogle and the recently returned Reese Norrington Davies as wing-backs. That's what they have. That's that's not, oh, we were missing a couple of players. That's what we threw together. That's the best back five you have. And then they played McAtee and Vinny Sosa in midfield. Uh, plus Brooks, Britton Diaz and Asulu or Asula. Like that's pretty close to their best 11. Like Gus Hammer should be in that team. And I think Cameron Archer should be in that team. But other than that, that's pretty much it. And they got absolutely walloped at home, like at home and Villa missed a litany of other chances. Villa could have scored eight in that game and nobody it was have out, of, out of form Villa as well. Yeah, literally. Mm. Literally, Villa were, have been dreadful of late and Sheffield United just, they rolled over. Watkins scored on 16 and they gave up. And when the fifth goal went in, like, this is the thing, you go in 4-0 down, surely the entire half time team talk is we've lost this game. Let's try and rescue some pride. Let's not concede another goal. Let's try and get one or two back and at least get something in terms of goal difference out of the second half. Like we're not going to get a point, so we might as well try and rescue our goal difference a little bit. And within like 80 seconds of the restart, Alex Moreno has the ball in the back of your net again. And the whole half time team talk was just meaningless. Either that or Chris Wilder, I don't know, maybe went to the canteen and like burnt all the sandwiches or something. But just a shambles, an absolute shambles of a performance. And like you said, like Luton, four against Brighton, they up to Newcastle and scored four. If they play like that against Sheffield United, they're gonna put five or six past them. Um I like it takes a a very, very special effort to concede 59 goals in 23 games. It really does. In a league full of mediocre defensive teams, to be 12 goals worse off than anybody else is really special. And not only that, they've scored five less than anyone else. You're 23 games into a season and your goal difference is minus 40 that is an incredibly impressive achievement. Like you have to nearly try to be that bad. It doesn't just come naturally. Like that's not a fluke. And I was looking at this earlier because obviously the last time they were up, they were an absolute disaster show as well. Um, True 23 games of that season. they would taken 11 points. And they were one of the worst Premier League teams of all time. This time they've taken ten points. They're even worse. Like they haven't had the, you know, the one point from the first thirteen games start, or the two points from the first seventeen games start that they had that time around, and yet they're still worse than they were that time. And you look at the fixtures, when do we see them winning a game? They've got Luton this weekend. So this is an opportunity to win a game because mm-hmm. Luton, aren't, Luton aren't great. Like, let's be fair. I know they're playing well. They're not great. Then they get Brighton at home. Now, Brighton can be hit and miss, so maybe there's something to be had there. Then they go to Wolves. They're going to get spanked. Then they play the Arsenal. They're getting hammered. Then they go to Bournemouth. They're going to lose that one. Then they're away to United. Now, as bad as United have been, they're still going to beat Sheffield United. Then they're home to Fulham. That might be a winnable game. That's match day 30. At that point, you're going to be relegated anyway. And then, like, they they go to Anfield. They're not getting anything there. Then they host Chelsea. Then they go to Brentford. Home to Burnley. Match day 34, maybe they get a win there. What's that? Maybe three winnable games over the next 11? Then they go to Newcastle, that's a hammering. They get Forest Home. that's a winnable one. So there's four winnable games. They go to Everton. Everton, Everton in all likelihood, will need to win that to stay in the division. Mm. And then they finish off with Spurs, who may well be going for top four on the final day. Like that's realistic. That's four games I'd look at and say they might win them. Maybe five. Maybe throw in hit and miss Brighton.
1: Well, on points per game, they'll get six and a half more points this season. Yeah. Best
0: case scenario is 15, which would give them 25 points for the entire season. 25 points is less. Than Fulham have now. So Crystal Palace are 24, Brentford 23, Forest Ford, uh, 21, Luton 20, Everton 19. So they'd need one, three, four, five, and six points respectively from their next 15 games to end up with more than Sheffield United's kind of best case scenario. And they'd all have better goal differences. Like they we're in early February, they're already relegated.
1: Hmm. It feels like to me they just got all void. And the derby one will never be broken. I, I don't think. But that's Sun. Was Sunderland 15 points? I think.
0: Let's see. Something uh, like that. Something like that. Lowest Premier League points totals. <laughs> so Derby have 11. So they're gonna beat that. That's never gonna get beat. <laughs> so they're, they're gonna beat that. That, like that, that is truly special. Sunderland, fifteen points. They should beat that. Huddersfield, sixteen points. They should beat that. Aston Villa, seventeen points. Jesus. That's where it starts to get hairy. Sunderland, nineteen points. Imagine being on this list twice. <laughs> Fifteen and nineteen points and only a couple of seasons between them. O two oh three for nineteen points and oh five oh six for fifteen. Were they like
1: top four caliber team this season before? Of before Incredible like
0: Absolutely yeah. incredible. The nineteen points is in play. Like if there's a real chance that Sheffield United finishes one of the five worst teams in Premier League history. They got twenty three points the last time they were in the division. I don't think they're passing that this time. I don't think they're getting to 23. No. I think if they get to 21, they'll be doing well. that would be more points in the last 15 games than they took in the first 23. I, I just... They are historically bad. Now, look, everything we're saying here can also be said of Burnley. The difference is... When you look at that Sheffield United squad, right, if you were saying, okay, we're going to go down, we're going to rebuild, what do we need? So you've brought in Gerbich. that's your goalkeeper, that's fair enough. Ahmed Hodzic, I would imagine, is immediately gone out the door come summer. Mm. Mason Holgate, you don't own. Norrington Davies, he might stay. So you'll have a left-wing back, you'll have a right-wing back in Bogle. They're 23 and 24 years of age. Let's just say you can keep Amit Hodzic, right? Let's just say you can keep him. So you have three of your five-man defence. And even at that, Bogle hasn't been great for a while, but still. So you need two defenders straight away, and you need a goalkeeper. Oh, you've got garbage, you're fine. You need two defenders straight away. And a manager, probably. I'm probably a manager. Midfield, I don't think you could afford to bring Vinny Sosa down with you. I'd imagine his wages would be too high. I don't know how overjoyed Gustavo Hammer will be about going back down to the championship, having been there for a couple of years with Coventry. So he's probably going to want out as well. So there's your two best midfielders gone. You don't own McAtee. There's your third best midfielder. So you'll have Anis Le Mans, And Tom Davies, who I I do like. But you'll need a midfielder. And then up front, you'll have Cameron Archer. Now, Osulu looks a good player. Andre Brooks looks a good player. So, at least you have them. But they're, I wouldn't say, players you could rely on next season. Jebison's another really talented one. Hopefully, he's uh, back to full health soon enough. Maybe you can rely on him. But I'd still say you need a striker at least one, probably two in midfield, two in defence. And that's before you talk about flushing the squad out with depth. Whereas you look at Burn, and then like, again, what happens then if you come back up? Is that team going to be good enough to stay in the division or are you going to have to buy five and six more? But you look at Burnley, and I think it's a slightly different situation where... James Trafford, I don't think, will have any problem going down and coming back up. And he'll be a really good goalkeeper. Dara O'Shea, I think, will be fine going down. I think Jordan Beyer will as well. Ekdal, Aldecal. The one you won't get to keep, I wouldn't say, is Maxine Esteve. I, w- I would say that deal is probably dependent on you staying up. Uh, you'll have Delcroix. You'll have Vitinho. I don't see any of them forcing their way out. Is that
1: young French lad on a. Loan to buy
0: or it- uh, the, the the right back way. or the center back? Center uh, back. Esteve, I think he's on a loan to buy. Right, okay. So I think it's a loan with an option to buy if they stay up. Um, now, look, maybe they go down and decide to go ahead with it anyway because he's only 21. And he's very promising. If they do, that's even better. But if they don't, they need one in defense. Other than that, they're going to be fine, but they would need one in defence. Even if he stays, they'll still need one, because you need someone a bit older, a bit more experienced. Midfield, Sanderberg is a question mark. Uh, Will there be enough interest for him to find a move away? I don't know. Josh Brownhill will stay. Goodmanson will stay. Ramsey will stay. Cullen will stay. Misengo will stay. They're fine in midfield. They've got all the wide players, all of them. Like Tresor is there on loan. I'd imagine that they just cancel that deal. They'll have Odebert. They'll have Benson. They'll have Redmond. They'll have Foster. They'll have Amdoni. They'll have Koliadu. They will have um, Foster. Yeah. Uh, Obafemi can come back. Zaruri can come back. Lads that are proven in the championship. So like they don't need, they also have Luke McNally, who's a good young championship caliber center back, 24 years of age. They could throw him into their mix as well. CJ Egan O'Reilly, he's out on loan with PS, uh, PSV. He might be ready to step in next year as well. They won't need to do a whole lot if they go down. They've also got young Churlonev they can bring back as well, and Samuel Samuel Bastian and Scott Like They're in a much better situation. If they go down, they maybe only need two players, one up front and one at the back. But when they come back up, you're going to be looking at some really good players in the likes of Aaron Ramsey, Amdoni, Koliashu, Odebert. I think Bayer is going to be quite good. I think El Decal can be quite good. If they keep Esteve, he could be really good as well. Like They wouldn't ne- they wouldn't need to do a whole lot if they came back up with this team all two years older. Whereas with Sheffield United, it's like you're going to have to spend just to get out of the championship. And then you're going to spend a lot more to stay in the Premier League. With Burnley, I think a, f- a fairly medium spend in the championship would be fine. And then again, when you come up one or two additions and work the loan market, and I think you'd be fine. Plus, moving forward, I'd rather have Vincent Company as manager than Chris Wilder because I'd rather have that young manager with potential who should learn from his mistakes, as opposed to Chris Wilder who doesn't really seem to have learned anything. Like Chris Wilder did a brilliant job first time around at Sheffield United and then he left and when he came back, he'd had two jobs in the interim. Middlesbrough, which did not go well, and Watford, which was a disaster. He doesn't seem to have learned anything because the same issues they had before he left with some of the rotations defensively, and midfielders not picking up runners when, you know, when they do the inverted centre back thing and he goes underlapping away and a midfielder do- doesn't drop in. That type of stuff was prevalent the last time they're up. It's still prevalent now. Now he hasn't been using the back three in all his games so far. He's used the back four more often, but we're still seeing issues with his full back bombs forward, the opposition right side midfielder doesn't get picked up or left sided midfielder depending which side the fullback goes because the midfielders aren't dropping out to cover these are basic things that he should have figured out and he's not doing it you know he's not even splitting the centre backs and dropping one in between them to try and cover the gaps out wide so I don't know what Chris Wilder's been at the last couple of years but I wouldn't have much faith in him to turn this job around and if I was a Championship side Not even a Premier League side If I was a championship side looking for a manager right now And he was available I I don't think I'd go anywhere close to him I really don't I, I just think he's I think that last season With Sheffield United Before they got relegated the last time I think it just broke him And I don't think he's been right since
1: No Certainly, and obviously me being from Borough, I was, well, I was talking to my mate the other day, can't believe they sacked Neil Warnock, who literally exists, to either save championship teams or promote championship teams to get Chris Wilder. It's very strange. Um, but what was your prediction for the Luton game? Uh, I'll go 3-1 to Luton. Yeah, should, sounds about right. We'll do the Spurs game and then we'll take a quick break. But this one, Dave, uh, quite fun. Um, both attacking sides I, I say neither can defend, I feel like Spurs have the players to defend but they're just s- sloppiness is just there at the minute mm. just very strange um, but what do you make of this
0: game? Well the big boosts for Spurs are that Son should be back Basuma should be back Sar was back and should now be back into the team So for the first time since, well, since they played Chelsea, whenever that was, October, November, they're going to have pretty much a full complement of players available. You know, because between injuries, suspensions, and then the two international tournaments, they haven't had their full team since that Chelsea game. Um, And when they had that full team, they looked like one of the best teams in the division. So I will be interested to see how that works out, if, if they're all available and if if Ange puts them into the team. I think he should. I think he needs to get Basuma and Sar back in straight away because when he played those two in front of that defensive line, the defensive line looked a lot more solid because they had some protection. I like Benton Coor as a player. Uh, I, I, I like Heusberg less, but I, I still like him as a player. But they're both slow. And they're easy to move around. So teams are finding it quite easy to get at that Spurs back line. And, you know, when you throw your fullbacks forward as well, you've only got two real defenders there. And when you're allowing... like We saw it with Liverpool this year. Like, how many times did we see it with Liverpool where teams are just running through Liverpool's midfield in on Van Dijk and Kanate? And we were coming away from games after wins saying, God, we're lucky to have Van Dijk, Kanate and Alisson. It's only the fact that they're world class. Liverpool are surviving. That was the case for Liverpool early in the season, before the midfield settled in, before Curtis Jones came back, and you know Alexis got comfortable and whatever else. Yeah, and it's the same thing that's happened to Spurs. Their their trio are really good: Vicario, Romero, and Van de Ven. But Romero's had multiple suspensions, and Van de Ven and an injury. And Van de Ven was out for three months. So Spurs' defence has looked worse than it actually is. Like, Ange Ball is really risky. But it's not a whole lot riskier than what Klopp has been doing. It really isn't. Um, it's just that they don't have Virgil van Dijk or Alison Becker. They've got good imitators, but not, not the real deal. Uh, Brighton, they've still got so many injuries. Um, but they did get good news, and in that Inciso is cleared to return to full team training. So I'm really excited to see him back. Um, but Spurs at home, probably close to full complement of players. We'll go Spurs win. We'll go three one. I think it's going to be the the most enjoyable game of the weekend. And I'm I'm annoyed that it's on at the same time as ours because that's a much better game than either the twelve thirty or the five thirty game.
1: Yeah, and we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back to talk about those crap games. <laughs> and we are back. Uh, continuing last three o'clock kickoff then, Dave, Wolves hosting Brentford. Um, it's a bit of a boring game, but I suppose Brentford had a desperate need of points. I know they've got Tony back. Um, but they are still looking over the shoulder. This might be one of those games where they win, they can forget about relegation because they'll probably overtake Palace. Um, especially, to, uh, at least till Monday. But if they lose and the other teams around them win, I mean, Forrest could overtake them. Luton could could overtake them. It's a um, nervy time for Brentford.
0: It is a nervy time. Like, there's a world in which they end the weekend in the bottom three. Because um, Forrest are home to Newcastle, Forrest could win that. Luton are home to Sheffield United, Luton should win that. And there is the, the very, very, very small possibility that Sean Dyche pulls off a miracle and Everton beat City. And if all of those things happen and Brentford lose, Brentford won't be in the bottom three. Now, like you said, if they were to win, and let's say Everton lose, which is what everybody expects, then all of a sudden you're looking at a six point lead over Everton. And that's, that's pretty strong. It's a pretty strong place to be, especially with Everton likely facing another points deduction. Um, I just don't fancy them to win this game though. Like Wolves are in really good form. Uh, at the moment, they're third in the form table over the last six games. They are seventh over the last 10 games. They're really good at home they fourth in the form table at home. Four wins, one draw, one defeat. The defeat was to United. They battered them in the second half. Had they turned up in the first half, they would have won that game comfortably. Mm. Cunha and Neto look pretty much unstoppable. They'll What's also that? have Wang back. Yeah. That's huge for them. Brentford have so many injuries and so many issues at the moment. And Ivan Tony hasn't quite looked right since coming back. Like he looks like a fella that missed a lot of football. And I know mm-hmm. he wasn't injured, but that might be worse. Because Ring Rust, and know. Ring rust, James. He just looks like he was sitting at home. He just looks a half half step slower. I think I think Wolves win this one. I'm gonna go 2 0. Yeah,
1: yeah, probably not the most intriguing three o'clock, but big um Big result, uh, big game for Brentford, especially. Uh, moving on to the half five kickoff that you alluded to there, Forest hosting Newcastle, Dave. Um, Newcastle very strange. We well, mentioned this every bloody Friday. Very strange season from them, just numerous injuries and just yeah, some young players not getting chances. I think you mentioned Lewis Hall on, uh, in your other podcast today mm. um, and stuff like. That. Whereas Forest. Seem to be settling in, obviously still in a precarious position in the league, but think earlier in the week you mentioned like Omar Bamadelli settling in with Murillo next to him. So at least um, Nuno's came in and kind of establishing partnerships. Obviously the midfield's kind of in need of that, but at least the defence is looking a bit more settled now.
0: Yeah, the defence is looking settled. They got a 1-E back in attack as well, so that obviously helps. Um, they added Gio Reyna in January, so we'll see if he can be of help. I, I think Callum Hudson-Odoi is quietly having a, the best run of form he's had in about two and a half years. So fingers crossed that continues because he's such a talented player. I really want to see him do well. Gibbs White, everybody knows I'm a big fan. Like, Seven points from their last five games is a, is a pretty good return for Forrest. That's a third of their season's tally in the last five games. They, like Everton, also have the potential of a points deduction hanging over them. So what they need to do is get as many points on the board as possible so that if and when those deductions come down the line, number one, they don't drop below Burnley. So they don't drop into the bottom three because Everton will drop to the bottom as things currently stand. Everton would go bottom. Sheffield United would be second from bottom and Forrest would go third bottom with Burnley coming into 17th. But a Forrest win here would at least give them a cushion so that they would go to 17th rather than 18th. And also they want to open as much of a gap on Everton as possible. Because realistically, when it comes down to it, when we're looking at the table at the end of the season, the names we're going to expect to see there are pretty much the bottom five that are there right now. Sheffield United, Burnley, Everton, Luton and Forrest. And if, if Forrest can finish above Everton, they'll stay up. One way or another, they'll stay up because Everton will either be 18th or 17th. Look to finish above Everton, and they should be okay. So open the gap now. If both of those teams get points deductions now, I mean, Luton are going to be in such a great position to stay up. So that that's why it's Everton. Finish above Everton. They're the team that are going to get docked points with you. If you have a five-point advantage on them, which they would have if they win this weekend and Everton lose, then that 10 point deduction doesn't kill you. It gives you a comfortable a comfortable lead over Everton that you should be able to maintain the rest of the season. Um the tune they just they look a little bit lost. They really do look a little bit lost. Now, when they when it clicks for them, like it did against Villa, they were outstanding. There was moments in that Luton game where they took them apart effortlessly. And then there's moments where they just look a complete shambles. Like much of that Luton game, they looked a shambles. We saw them at Anfield. They looked a shambles. Forrest went to St. James's and Chris Wood got a hat-trick.
1: I forgot it was a Chris Wood. Oh, hat-trick. yeah, Chris Oh, that was, that was fun. After going 1-0 down, <laughs> mind you
0: as well. Um, I actually fancy Forrest to get the result here. I'm going to go 2-1 to Forrest.
1: Yeah, I want he being back. I think it's just... Matter. If he if he stays fit for the rest of the season, bar yeah. them getting 15 points taken off them, I think that'll be fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree.
1: Uh, Moving on to... I have the wrong tab open. Moving on to Sunday, then. We have West Ham hosting Arsenal, Dave. Um... West Ham, obviously, a lot of injuries. Arsenal picked up a couple of knocks in the Liverpool game as well, if I remember correctly. But this game's caused a few upsets in in, in um, past seasons, unless I'm remembering incorrectly. But it always seems to be an intriguing game, especially on West Ham and Antonio before his form drop-off. Um, but th- I think they do suit playing a team like Arsenal. A lot of counter-attacking opportunities and if they play all the eight-foot-tall midfielders and stuff, they they can physically get at Arsenal, I feel.
0: Yeah, and they beat Arsenal only a couple of weeks ago in the league as well. And if they can, you know, repeat that, be really physical, Now, look, you're going to rely on a little bit of luck as well. You're going to be relying on Arsenal to miss chances. Um, Arsenal do have some injury issues. Arteta says Saka gonna looks okay but i i worry about that kid because they play him an awful lot and he plays through mm-hmm. a lot of knocks and injuries and stuff so are
1: well, we saw it with would, rashford it's brilliant. that's
0: that's exactly who i think of rashford Alley, players like that i i feel like the best thing for arsenal for the long haul might be to sit Saka for a couple of games They can't really afford to. They're not good enough going forward to do it without him. Now, Zinchenko, Tomiyasu, and Jesus are all expected to have fitness tests. So we'll see what happens with them. Like you said, West Ham have injuries of their own. Last weekend, West Ham played United, got beaten 3 0 in a game in which there was never three goals between them, but they had lapses. And Arsenal punish lapses as well as anybody. I feel like West Ham can score on this Arsenal team. I feel like they're confident they can open this Arsenal team up with Bowen and Kudus and Ward-Prowse's set pieces. And like you said, the big physical midfielders. They're going to have to ride their luck a little bit, but I'm going to go for the draw. I'll go
1: 2-2. West Ham seemingly missing Areola as well, which... Concipient. He went
0: off in the United game and Fabianski came on.
1: And had the worst attempt at a save I've seen. Mean.
0: Yeah. He, that's he a good point. Look great. The thing is, he is former he is former Arsenal. It might just inspire him to reach back into the closet for one one final good performance.
1: Mm. By the way, Lucas Picetta's full name. Lucas Tolentino Cola de Lima. Fantastic. It's beautiful. Fantastic name.
0: He's um, still out, isn't he?
1: Yeah, 25% for him and Antonio, according to this, but I have no idea when this was last updated. The 17th? No, what? Oh, no, that's a return date. I think the game after, more likely for them too. Um. Villa hosting United, Dave. Um, If this was a few weeks, a month ago, I think most people just say Villa should win it comfortably. But they lost their home record in that Newcastle game you mentioned a couple of games ago. United, the uh, results are getting better, but you meant like that Wolves one's just the perfect example. They played well in the first half, but that was probably more down to Wolves being <laughs> terrible than yeah. So if Villa turn up, I feel like Villa will win, but that's a bigger question mark than it was a few weeks ago.
0: Yeah, this this is the first time United have looked like a team that makes sense this season. You know, the players just kind of fit together. Um, And the results have been better. And they've had patches of good performance in in the Wolves game. They were good in the first half. Against West Ham, they were pretty good second half. Not great, but pretty good. But at the same time, there's still big holes defensively. And Villa, despite the fact they did get walloped by Newcastle and and 3-1 flattered Villa on the night. It could have been five or six. I feel like Villa found something against Sheffield United. Now Sheffield United make it easy to find things; they leave all the breadcrumbs and maps and everything out there. Mm. They did lose in the cup, though. But they did lose in the cup. They didn't just lose in the cup; they got battered in the cup mm. at home as well to a bad Chelsea team. Um, and it was again, you know, pretty strong team. Now look, Clement Langley is playing. That's an issue. Like he's just not good enough. It's just that simple. I don't really know what's going on with Diaby right now, but he can't can't get a start for Villa. When he does start, he doesn't play well. Mm. Then he goes back to the bench, comes off the bench, looks good. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Don't really understand. Him the, and the, Bailey have swapped minds. <laughs> they have basically like w- only one of them seems to be capable of being good at the same time. Um, not really sure what's going on with Jacob Ramsey, but he's having a, a quite a tough season. Yuri Thielemans, he's just, he's very inconsistent and his effort level drifts. John McGinn, he's a limited player. I know Villa fans love him, but there's a limit on where you can go with John McGinn. There really is. That midfield pairing is starting to look a little bit tired as well. They've both played a lot of football this year, so they could be a bit leggy. I'll still back them to win because they're at home. And I think they will want revenge on United because they went 2-0 up at Old Trafford and end up losing the game, and it was kind of embarrassing for them. But I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. I'll go 2-1 to Villa. I think it'll be a bit scruffy.
1: Yeah, probably not the prettiest, as you say. Even will this next game, I think, which is the Monday night game, um, with Palace hosting Chelsea, Dave. <laughs> Palace Bringing Elise on when you're 3 0 down at half time. Mm. I, d- I don't care if the medical staff said he had 70 minutes in him. Why the hell would you bring on an injury prone player coming off an injury when you're 3 0? Nil- I don't care if it's your biggest rival. 3 0 down. <laughs> think of the rest of your season, you weird old man. Um, and Ez is obviously in and out with injuries as well, but I, it's an a good opportunity for Chelsea to let's see where they can get to. Let's just double check to get into the top half of the table, Dave. Let's go with that.
0: Yeah. That's only, uh, that's, that's assuming Wolves haven't won. If Wolves win, true. No. Well, it depends because if Newcastle were to lose, Chelsea couldn't jump them and, you know, it would have win a win. So maybe, maybe they can still get top half. Um, uh, Roy is not long for that job uh, I, can't, I can't see them sticking with him for much longer I think he's probably only there because they haven't figured out who they want yet um, like you said that that Elise decision was just a scandal an absolute scandal Steve Parrish should have come down out of the stand and removed Roy from the dugout and, mm. forget when he got injured the moment he saw him being brought onto the pitch, he should have come down and removed. Hodgson. The fact that, he was on his on the bench, <laughs> stupid, like absolutely stupid. Um, and he he might not play again this season. Eze's in injured. Decoury's injured. Like that's and the the issue with the Elise injury is, if he let's just say he does miss the rest of the season, you've got a buyout written into his new contract. There's been varying reports on what that might be. Some have said it's $60 Some have said it's less than that. But we might get to the summer where he's only played 11 Premier League games, and he's had two serious hamstring injuries. Now, they're the only injuries of his career to date. So you'd hope that there's nothing. It's not going to be something that will recur on him over and over again. But he might, he might not bring the type of money that you want. If he starts mm. to make noise that he wants to go in the summer, and he's played eleven games and had two serious injuries, you might find you start getting lowballed. And if his agent puts the pressure on, they're not going to be in a strong situation, a strong uh, situation to to negotiate from.
1: If he doesn't fancy the new manager, it'd be on.
0: That's and, the well, thing.
1: You, you trust them to hire the right manager?
0: <laughs> no. Well, look at look who the manager is now. You, you couldn't, you know. We've,
1: we've you, done this dance many times. Look who the manager's been for thirty
0: years. <laughs> just yeah, it, it, that's it. It's just one of those things where, if you're, if you're Crystal Palace, you need to be having a conversation with him, with Elise. About his future and what he wants to do. And you need to be having a very, very strong look at what you want your club to be moving forward. Because um, he is so, so special. And he, he's, he's a rare talent for them to have. So is Eze, obviously. But I think Elise is a more special talent than Eze. Yeah, I'd probably agree. I, I'd take both. <laughs> I'd take both as well, to be fair. Um, as for this game... I mean, Chelsea, they looked good during the week. They looked awful last weekend. So who knows which one will turn up. I'm going to guess that it's the decent one because this tends to be their way where they have like three or four good games in a row, two or three stinkers in a row, one or two okay games, stinker, three or four good games, two or three stinkers. I'm gonna guess would you a good game like the Villa one? So I'll go I'll go 2 0 to Chelsea because I don't know who's gonna score a goal for Palace. Has the potential to be the worst nil nil you've ever seen it, in the life? It genuinely does. It has the potential to be the worst game of the season. Like Palace are not fun to watch under Roy. Which it doesn't matter who plays, they're just not fun to watch. And Chelsea are not fun to watch at all. Chelsea are very very dull which is ridiculous considering some of the players they have but if they just if they have one of those nights where it looks like like against Villa they look like a team the biggest part of that was Thiago Silva didn't play he came off the bench but he didn't start so the defence played a bit higher they played a bit more spread out the midfield weren't being asked to track massive amounts of space they could compress the field they could be more aggressive. They were able to win the ball higher, turn the game around, open Villa up, be aggressive in their possession as well as out of possession. And all of it was because they weren't worried about having the geriatric behind them. But I would be I would I think Barney Shea picked up an injury, by the way, if you didn't see Yeah, so I would anyway. be willing to bet Thiago Silva was coming back in, even though he shouldn't. There's no reason to bring him back in. You've got De Sassy, you've got Cole, we'll roll with them. But I would bet he plays Thiago Silva and they won't look as good. But I still think they'll win. I'll go two now. And that's the last game. And that's it. Right, that'll do us for today. We will be back on Monday. So enjoy your weekends. Take care of yourselves. Bye bye. Podcast Network.